0: three strangers like my wife and i and this lady and we talked for 10 minutes in the aisle about mental health it's just so heartwarming that this is where we are and considering where we might have been five years ago that's why this makes me so excited because where will we be in another five years and 10 it'll be such a normal conversation it won't be any more just a casual hey how you doing today it'll be a real like hey really how are you doing today is that-
1: Darkness to Life contains the real stories of individuals who found their way out of the darkness caused by mental health challenges and substance abuse. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Please reach out when you're ready to ourcollectivejourney.ca or on Facebook at Our Collective Journey.
2: Awesome. Welcome back to another episode of From Darkness to Life. Ryan here. I got my good buddy Rick. Good day. <laughs> and a very special guest today. We're joined with uh, NHL Pro, who is now commentating for Hockey Night in Canada, but more importantly, a massive advocate for mental health and uh, you know doing his part that way. So we'd like to welcome Kelly Rudy to the show today.
0: Ryan and Rick, thank you. I'm uh, really looking forward to this chat. should be fun.
2: Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Kelly. I know this time of year is probably extremely busy with the NHL season hockey night in Canada and mixing COVID, all those other restrictions and all the different things that this world is dealing with right now. So really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to join us for this.
0: Yeah, for sure. I, uh, it's been something that, uh, I've actually really enjoyed um I haven't enjoyed a lot like most people during the pandemic right but uh this sort of step backwards until now I'm getting like you said a little bit busy but I've had a chance to reconnect not only with Canadians but some people uh some of our friends in uh, the states and I had uh, I did a podcast with a guy in Australia so wow. trying to really uh, connect with people and have these important conversations but Prior to the pandemic, I was just so darn busy that I I couldn't really do any of this. Like my schedule was nuts with uh, hockey night and Flames regional and with all the travel involved. So this has been a real uh, pleasurable uh, experience for me to sort of say hi to people and uh, chat about a whole bunch of different things. Yeah, it
3: has been pretty cool. I know um, even with uh, with our circles, you know, where Ryan and I are both twelve step guys. Okay. Um, even with some of the meetings going digital, like we've, we've kind of built a network, uh, you know, I've got buddies in California now in Mississippi right. in Boston and New York. Yep. And it's like, uh, it's, it's pretty cool how such a shitty circumstance has kind of made the world smaller and a little more intimate, which is kind of cool.
0: I agree. Uh, at times, I would agree. I think sometimes yeah. I was kind of hopeful early on in the pandemic. It seemed like people were friendlier and kinder to each other. And now social media is ramped right back up to where it once was. People yeah. just can't help themselves but be mean, which is ridiculous
2: isn't that the truth i know i've had to over this last couple months really start limiting my i always made it a a self-care piece for myself not to read the comment section on any posts and stuff like that and i've really had to start going back to that because right it's just so dark in those comments oh my goodness
0: it can be right but i think that's why you know i'm looking forward to this chat i think you guys see how i use my social media platform Mm -hmm. and uh, for the most part uh I try and just spread love and hope and uh, talk about uh, some important things. And uh, I I don't think I ever uh, clap back at somebody that's been angry at me or says something. Uh, I might block the person or I might just keep my eye on them, see what they're up to, so to speak. And mm-hmm. But uh, the only time I've, I, I think in my social media life that I've ever really gone after somebody or corrected them is if they've just been factually incorrect. And if you disagree with me, you know, I don't care. You know, that's how the world works, you know? So Mm -hmm. I don't have a problem if you disagree with me, but uh, uh, it does kind of cross the line where it's based on hate and, you know, we don't need to go down that road.
3: Yeah. I think that's what we've kind of based all our social media and well our whole organization on is, uh, you know, we'll be there to support anybody, any circumstance, um, Put all the politics, put all the opinions aside. You know, first and foremost, we're here for recovery. We're here to support each other. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I've had a lot of people that I've even sponsored in 12-step that I like. I can't stand their politics or what they stand for. But at the end of the day, I'm going to be there to support them because somebody was there to support me. And, and, uh, you know, make the world a better place because of it. That's a good way to approach things. Yeah, for sure.
2: We we try to live by the mantra that we don't have opinions on outside issues. So we're just here to help people when they reach out for support.
0: There you go. I love it.
2: Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I came across your social media over the last couple of years, Kelly, and we touched earlier on last summer. We, we connected and, uh, you know, I'm really inspired to see where you're at today advocating for the mental health and the challenges that you face, you know, growing up playing hockey and then in the NHL. And I can't imagine what that was like back in the day you played, you know, trying to, you know, deal with the pressures and all these things and, and try to keep that under wraps. Right.
0: Yeah. Well, it wasn't for me going back to what I now recognize was a mental health issue back in 92, 93. uh, That was in my 10th year in the national hockey league. It wasn't keeping it under wraps because I didn't know what was going on. I had no idea. And uh, uh, at that time, nobody was talking about it. And, you know, you just sort of try and power through and um, figure it out on your own, which is awfully painful and lonely. And but there, I had no answers. Right. So I was to find out later or recognize later, I guess that, hey, you know what, what I went through back in 92, 93 was related to my mental health. And, but, you know, it started off and I think a lot of people can relate to this. It started off my thoughts were rational, in fact. So it was going into the summer of nineteen ninety-two. And so I think I was entering my tenth year in the National Hockey League. And if you don't know the numbers, the average is about a three-year career, three and a half, maybe. And right. so I I think I'm I don't know how much longer I can go, right? So the thoughts were rational. And then uh, they they were going, well, how much longer do you think you can play? Do you think you can keep playing at this level? Uh, There was a lot of pressure. We had two children. Donna was pregnant with our third daughter. Um, So those sorts of thoughts were swirling around in my head. And as I was to find out later from Caitlin, and I'll tell you a little bit about her story, she taught me and my wife about the loop. And so the loop was going round and round and round, but I didn't know what it, what the loop was doing. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know how to stop it. I didn't have any of the tools to break that. So mm-hmm. um, then the season started and my thoughts went from rational to irrational because I got off to a fantastic start. Probably my best start ever in the National Hockey League, which kind of doesn't make sense, right? If you you have these conflicting thoughts, how can you actually – put them aside for the game and then play quite well. And so uh, the season gets off to a fantastic start. At, but then in October and especially in November, they became louder and louder and more um, dark, I guess, in the sense that you can't keep doing this. You're, you're not this good. You can't, mm-hmm. uh, play at this level the entire year and just all these things that were questioning my ability. And so a lot of doubt. And so then we were on a road trip in Milwaukee back then we had some neutral site games and, uh, I just had, I became, uh, like I had an episode, I called it. So the night before a game, I ordered in room service, uh, and, uh, I just, I had a Pepsi and my thoughts were so loud. I, I couldn't barely eat. I tried to have a bath because I used, used to like to have a bath the night before on the road to sort of, uh, you know, ease my mind and just stretch a little bit and get ready, um, relax before the night before a game, game. But my thoughts were super loud and somehow I barely slept. Somehow I got through it the next day and I happened to be the first star of the game. So wow. I'm wondering how much longer... Uh, I was hopeful these thoughts would just disappear, which I now know, of course they won't. Uh, and then after that game in Milwaukee, we flew home and we played a couple more times. And then I just went, uh, in a ditch and I couldn't get out of it. And I went into, it lasted about a two month, uh, slump. Uh, I went from really feeling good about myself to thinking, Truly, that I was the worst goalie in the National Hockey League. Uh, That's a pretty difficult place to be when you're on maybe not the best team in the world, but one of the most popular, if not the most popular, because we had Gretzky, right? So Mm -hmm. it was uh, really challenging that way. And uh, I think it was January 17th. We had a home game, uh, an afternoon game. Uh, at home, I think we're playing the New York Rangers. I was backing up because I wasn't starting very much at that point. And uh, about two, two and a half hours before the game, Barry Melrose walks in. He's our coach, former Medicine Hat Tiger coach, and Mm -hmm. in behind him is uh, Tony Robbins. And if you don't know who Tony is, he's this motivational guy. And uh, he was really popular back then because he had all these infomercials in the States. I don't know if they are running in Canada, but certainly in the States they were. And so... Uh, It wasn't unusual to have celebrities in the dressing room more often after a game, but on occasion before. So this wasn't highly unusual. So they go into Barry's office and close the door. And then about a minute later, Barry opens the door and motions me over. And as I'm walking over to his office, I am literally thinking again, uh, why would Tony Robbins want to meet the worst goalie in the National Hockey League? So. Um, I go in there, Barry makes the introductions and, uh, Barry also says something like, you know, Kelly, I want to try and help you get out of this. Um, but, and he goes, would you be willing to work with Tony? And I'm personally thinking, wow, this is a really amazing opportunity for me. And I was, by the way, I was really open about what I was going through because I, I didn't like it. Right. The, The game had me on my knees and it's not a good place to be. Um, and so Barry also asked, he goes, uh, no pressure, but would you mind if I sat in on the meeting as well to learn a little bit more about you? And I said, sure, you know, no problem. I have nothing to hide, right? Like I'm, I'm terrible. I got to get out of this. And if if it takes you figuring me out also and understanding me, that's great. So, uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but Tony's six foot nine, right? Yeah. Huge man right huge man. So I sat in a chair and he stood right in front of me and I knew what was happening. I knew what he wanted to do and what he wanted to portray, right? The the power and uh all that. So then we started chatting and the great thing about uh, the conversation I had with Tony and I can't speak for others how what their conversations are like, but we chatted like two athletes. So we were swearing, um we we're just just laying it on the line, right? Just I'm spilling it, just telling them what I feel like. And, and, uh, and so we got through that. And that I can't remember how long that that, uh, meeting lasted, I'm probably going to say about 45 minutes. And I was able to work with Tony a number of times after that personally one on one again. But what I came away with it, and I should have shown you, but uh, um, I I had this laminated uh, cue card. And so after that meeting, I wrote down some things. So Schwarzkopf was the first thing on the list. And what that meant was uh, General Norman Schwarzkopf was a big, imposing figure in the United States because I think the Gulf War had just ended. And I had watched him throughout the Gulf War. And I thought, man, do I ever like this guy? Because when he talks, to the press he he looks so in charge and so when I played a game and I was playing really well I also felt like a general like it didn't matter if it was Pavel Bure coming on me on a breakaway or Al McInnes winding up in the slot with that big slapper or whatever I felt I was in charge and so mm-hmm. we we did a couple drills and that's how this name came up uh and then I did another thing the second point was picture and picture so it Picture-in-picture picture was just coming out in television at that point where, as you guys know, you could watch something and then in a little small screen, you could watch another channel or something. And I, my pictures were all messed up. My big picture was all negative and my little picture was positive. And so, I needed tools to flip that around. So, I was looking at things from a more positive space. And then I had a couple technical things and uh, I I looked at that card before the start of every single game and before the start of every period uh, for the rest of my five years in the National Hockey League. That's how important that card was for me. And I've never forgotten it, of course. And so when I started struggling again, just before Christmas of this year, I decided that I'm going to go back to that i'm gonna so I made up a little card in my wallet I laminated it, and I think I have six or seven points that are really key for me to get through uh a moment or a day or whatever i'm going through and uh um the first one is of course for all of us breathe um and then some other things that are important to me you know if you do your own card and laminate and carry it with you in your wallet. Maybe you'll have different key points that are important for you. But the last one, the person that is helping me with my mental health right now um, convinced me. And it was convinced that I deserved this success because somehow I'd convinced myself that I wasn't worthy. Um, you know, all these other things that are ridiculous but um that's just where my mind went in 2019. But anyways, go back to 93. So I got through it, I had the tools now to break that loop. I understood what was going on, and ends up we ended up going to the finals that year. A lot of good things happened, and then I was pretty much in the clear. Uh, you know, we're all anxious from time to time. Everybody goes through that and we all have worries and we all go through things in life that are hard. There's so no getting around that. But in the summer of 2019, um, my wife and I like to spend a fair amount of time at a golf resort just outside Burnham called Predator Ridge. Um, And if you've never been, you should go because it's stunningly beautiful. Uh, But we're out there in the summer and all of a sudden I'm starting to have some of those same rational thoughts um, early on in the summer, in there, Kelly, you've been on hockey night, I think, at that time, something like 21 years. How much longer do you think you can keep on that show? You know, it's probably the most popular hockey show in the entire world. Uh, when's it going to end? All these, again, rational questions that as we got closer to the season, these rational questions became irrational mm-hmm. to keep. Going on TV, you've got to be perfect. Well, it's live TV, first of all, and and in any job or in any situation, why do you want to be perfect? Perfect is not normal. Right? Perfect is boring. We want real. We 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 want to experience everything in life, right? So we want highs and lows. We want to manage them. We want to go. We want the excitement of uh, starting off with maybe a bad day and turning it into a great day and feeling good about yourself. And so those thoughts again became really loud during the season until the point where it actually was when the pandemic started then in March of 2020, then my thoughts became uh, more unclear. I think a lot of people can relate to that. Um, And then it got to the point when the playoffs were in September, August and September of 2020 and everybody was in the bubble in Toronto and Edmonton and the finals, of course, were in Edmonton. And I decided for the last 18 days of the NHL playoffs to go to Toronto and turned out to be a big mistake. So just before this, I knew what was happening though. I understood it from 92, 93, but I didn't do anything about it. And I, I regret that because I should have, I should have gone to see somebody for my mental health earlier. I tried to get through it on my own. And once again, it was way too painful, way too lonely. During this, though, I did tell my wife and I told my kids that I'm going through something. Uh, still, stupidly, I didn't go take that next step and go talk to somebody. But uh, yeah, then I was in Toronto and the last uh, weekend was just completely unmanageable for me. I could barely get out of my room and go to the studio. I stupidly, those that last weekend on Friday and Saturday... I was stuck in my hotel room watching the news because the second wave was coming uh, with the variant and watching three hours of news before you're going to go talk on live television and get all ramped up in a negative way was not healthy for me. And so I told my boss actually, and they were amazing. They, They said, if you need to go home, the finals were still going on. They said, if you need to go, go home. So I got through Friday night and Saturday night And then I went for a three and a half hour walk in Toronto and cleared my head, listened to some music and convinced myself that I could go on. And so I did Monday and it was a little bit uncomfortable, but not nearly as bad as Friday and Saturday. Luckily for me, Tampa won on Monday. So I was able to go home on Tuesday. And that's when I made the appointment to go get the help I needed. And that was just, that was a game changer for me. And because I could talk to somebody clearly and just lay it all in the line. And I was really emotional Uh, driving there. I was super nervous the first day. And uh, I think I cried the first hour, (laughs) (laughs) which, you know, not ashamed of. And then I've been going uh, quite often. I haven't been going as much lately. And I I think I'm going to change that. Uh, I think I'm going to need to here in the next little bit. But I went uh, weekly for months to see this person. And it was fantastic i I really needed it even when after maybe maybe two months we didn't even talk about mental health because i was I was doing really well but we just talked about hockey and other things and but it just felt good to sit in his office for uh our meetings went down to about half an hour but that was just comforting right so yeah right. yeah that's amazing yeah that's
2: one thing we talk about lots is you know how therapy I I won't speak for Rick, but for myself coming out of addiction and then being diagnosed with depression and how therapy was a massive piece to my recovery story was, you know, pulling off that I'm a man's man type attitude and coming out and saying, Hey man, I have depression. I better start doing something about this. And finding the right therapist was the big key for me. It wasn't the first one I saw. It was the second one and then becoming comfortable with it. And yeah, I can so relate to your story, how you said, you know, i I was in that same boat where it suddenly became, well, not suddenly, but after two or three months of seeing them, I was doing really well. But I still didn't want to break that off and stop going because she was the one who convinced me that when you're doing really well, that's when you got to keep up your appointments.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. That's that's what I mentioned to uh, Caitlin, our youngest daughter, uh, and she's had her own uh, battles and she's doing really well now, I'm happy to say. Her and her husband uh, have this clothing line called More Good Days Clothing, which mm-hmm. I recommend everybody check it out because it's the the meaning super important. When she was twelve, she was diagnosed with uh, anxiety and OCD, and her life was completely unmanageable. She couldn't get out of the car. Uh, at school. So, excuse me, we were able to get her the help she needed, and then uh, extensive help. And then after four years of going to her therapist, a guy by the name of Dr. Kelly Mraz here in Calgary, who I highly recommend if somebody's going through something. um, And uh, she came to us and said, just out of the blue, mom, dad, I'm having more good days than bad. And what a profound statement, right? And so, it was profound on many levels, profound that She's having, after four years, more good days than bad. And <clears throat> secondly, that she would even come up with something like that at at, at a young age, right? And so, and think of it. So, <clears throat> we, we're we so proud of her and, and she's been talking publicly since 2013 about what she's gone through. She gives me strength to talk about it publicly because if she can, and especially again in 2013, she was, uh, what was she? uh, 21 maybe, and, uh, able to share with the world, her full story. Like she went, she was uh, on the front page, I believe, of the national post, the Canadian press did an article on her as well. And, uh, both articles were beautiful because they're written by two different people. And so they capture her spirit in different ways. And she's been a rock for me to, you know, it's perfectly fine. But at the point I was going to say, when I was starting to struggle a little bit in November of last year, just before the holidays, <clears throat> I mentioned, I think I'm going to go back and see the person helping me. She said, Oh, dad, you have to, it, it's so much easier to stay happy than find happy again. And that's to your point, Ryan, that you said your therapist convinced you to, even if you're in a good place, continue to go for as long as you, you possibly can so that you don't find that to difficult place. And then it was weird for me. And I don't know about you guys, but I had never been triggered in my life by life experiences until it was about, uh, well, I know exactly when it was. It was about the weekend before the start of the National Hockey League season. Then I started to have these thoughts. I knew I started to have to travel a little bit. I didn't want to travel. The brain got the best of me. And then other things sort of worked their way into my mind. And since that point, I think I've been triggered about seven or eight times. Uh, I kind of have an idea when it might be coming on. Uh, But nonetheless, it doesn't help it. Sometimes it lasts for half an hour, those bad feelings or bad thoughts. Sometimes it's day long. And I don't know how you guys, if you've ever experienced that and how long it lasts. But for the first time in my life, because Caitlin would talk about being triggered by something, we have another person really close to us that we love. uh, And they don't share that they're going through something mentally, but they get the help that they need. That's kind of another thing I wanted to talk to you guys about and everybody watching. It's not you don't have to share your story publicly. That's not the point of why we share. Um, If you can, great. If you don't want to, you don't have to for your own privacy, but I do suggest getting the help you need um, Mm -hmm. because that's too hard if you don't, but you don't, I'm not trying to put pressure on anybody to share their story. That's that's your own personal situation.
3: Yeah. I think, you know, there's a couple of things that I'd like to touch on there that you mentioned. And, one of them for sure is, you know, nobody needs to disclose anything. It's, it's everybody's story is their own story for whoever, you know, yeah. it's nobody's place to tell anybody else right. how to tell their story or what their story is. Right. Um, another big piece that I'd like to touch on that you guys were mentioning was, um, you know, talking about going and seeing a counselor and, and, and stepping out of your comfort zone to go get right. that support that you needed. But I think it it can be even simplified a bit that it doesn't necessarily even need to be a counselor, just somebody that you can talk to and, and be truly honest with and vulnerable and open. Cause I know like, you know, it comes up all the time, especially for us. You know, I don't know if it is a Southern Alberta Mm -hmm. guy thing for our demographic. Right. But like the man up mentality Um, is, you know, it's, it's terrifying that first time, especially to let yourself be truly honest and vulnerable with somebody. Now, whether that's whether you know you step right into the counselor role with that, or whether you progress to that yes. just by yes. talking to somebody, right? Just be willing to. It, it was so comforting, you know. And I've told my story a few times on here like uh, two days before I was well, you know, the Thursday before. Well, Kelly, I, you probably haven't obviously heard my story, but I, I was, like, fully suicidal on a Sunday. Wow. Um, and if you asked me on that Thursday yeah. if I was a drug addict or if I was an alcoholic or if I suffered from any mental health, I would have said no. Right. I, I didn't I didn't think I was there, right? Right. And it's, it's, it's terrifying to look back at how quickly that shift can happen mm-hmm. that all of a sudden, you know, what I thought I was managing becomes... So completely unmanageable yep. that I could progress so far down that rabbit hole in a matter of three days. Right. It is terrifying to think about, right? Because how many people are just right there, just under the surface, it bubbling, yeah. right? Yeah, totally. and and, uh, and and it and it took and it took honesty and vulnerability to even. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't with, like in my case, it wasn't with a professional. It was with somebody who had experienced what I was experiencing. Right. That was just there to go, dude. You're you're not crazy. This is, you're not alone. People have been through this. Not only have people been through this, they've come out the other side and and it, it meant something special for me because the guy that I was talking to, it was him, right? He wasn't, he wasn't a clinical guy. It wasn't something to learn in a textbook. It was I've been where you are and yeah. I've come out the other side and there is, and there's so much hope in that for somebody that's that far down that, you know, somebody in a lab coat or in a doc, you know with a stethoscope trying to tell me that. Yeah. I would have I would have discarded you immediately cuz like well you don't get it, right? But to right. have somebody willing to be the example to me about being open and vulnerable gave me permission to be open and vulnerable which started a path that I had no idea where I was going yeah. and it led me to this spot which is remarkable considering 6 years ago I didn't think I was worth right. I didn't think life was worth living, right? So, um, you know, as much as I'm not at all denouncing professional help for sure, like oh, yeah, yeah. you, you don't need to start just <clears throat> yep. find somebody you trust that you can, that cares about you and just be open and vulnerable and just tell the truth. Like, and the truth is
0: we're all a little fucked up and yep. that's <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> and it's like, just be honest. About yeah. I don't mind that. Thanks for sharing that, Rick. That's really powerful. And you're right. Like we all have something, I mean, uh, you know, Canadian Mental Health Association, by the way, I think they're terrific. And I worked, I've worked i worked with them on many projects. But uh, the only thing I disagree with what they're telling Canadians is that one in five Canadians uh, suffers. And I say that number is way higher. I say <laughs> the one in five, uh, the, that one person, their life is unmanageable and they can't go on day-to-day living. But everybody has something. I mean, and, and that, that's a great thing about that we're talking about it. So as an example, I'll give you two quick ones today I'm in the steam room at the club and uh, I walk in and a guy says, Hey, Kelly. And uh, he goes, you know, I wanted to say something last week when I saw you in the steam room, that video that you did sharing your vulnerability just before the holidays, it really helped me. And so here's two guys in the steam room talking literally for 10 minutes about mental health. Fantastic. Right. And then about three weeks ago, my wife and I were in the Safeway by our house Uh, going down an aisle. And uh, surprisingly, uh, uh, a lady about our age goes, Kelly, hey, great job. And I'm wearing a mask and a hat and everything. I'm thinking, how in the world does she recognize me? Anyways, she then shares her story about her daughter going to University of Victoria, struggling mightily with her mental health. Three strangers, like, my wife and I and this lady, and we talked for 10 minutes in the aisle about mental health. It's just so heartwarming that this is where we are. And considering where we might have been five years ago, that's why this makes me so excited, because where will we be in another five years and 10? It'll be such a normal conversation. It won't be <clears throat> anymore just a casual, hey, how are you doing today? It'll be a real like, hey, really, how are you doing today? And you'll look somebody in the eyes, because I've always said the eyes never lie, and just you'll know when to ask them a question. Are you okay?
3: Yeah, And for be sure. prepared to follow that up with more right. than one question.
0: <clears throat> yeah, that's right.
2: Yeah, for sure. That's usually how a lot of our podcasts start is asking the individual like yourself, Kelly, how are you doing today? And we don't want to hear good, fine. I'm all right. Like, <laughs> yeah. really, how are we doing? Right. And that's, Absolutely. I know that's a big piece and it's come a long way. I agree. I, I look back to where I was five or seven years ago and there was no way I was talking. I was talking, you know, sports and work. That's pretty much all I talked about. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. But no, nowadays, you know, like Rick said, finding somebody you trust and opening up to them mm-hmm. when I, when Rick and I crossed paths, we've only known each other for about oh, a couple, two and a half years now, but okay, he's like, he's like a brother to me now. Right. Cause he's right. got the same type of experience with his addiction and mental health that I had. Yep. And I, and I, Found my way out of it by doing the personal work and whatnot, right? So we can finish each other's sentences almost, and there's nothing wrong with love you know, it. Lots of times, Rick will phone me when he's having a rough day, or I phone him, right. and it's not to, you know, boost each other's egos, it's check your ego at yeah. the door and let's figure yeah. out our stuff here together, man. Yeah,
0: yeah, I'm so surprised. Uh, uh, when I go to work, how my bosses care about me, um, you know, they're amazing. Uh, They asked me how I'm doing. I I had one post in the summer, where I I wasn't doing very well. And uh, my boss called me, my wife and I were on a walk. And he called me and said, you need some time off. And I originally wanted to say, and now this is going to be my answer. This probably doesn't work for a lot of people when you're going through something. But I know how my brain works. And I wanted to say yes. But then that Bad part of my brain that would have been a win for it, right? Because that's that's what it's trying to convince me to do. That I can't go to work, so that's not good for me. So I had to tell them no. I'd like to, but I. It's good for me to get on air and get through it. And some days are easier than others, but yeah, I. Uh, that's that's where I'm at with uh, what my brain wants to tell me, and it just it's pretty good at clobbering me when it wants to. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it sneaks up lots still. I have those same, you know, similar voices too that self-worth piece. And what are you doing here? You, you shouldn't be up here. You shouldn't be doing this or that. You're going to fail.
0: Right. And I exactly. still
2: get a lot of that talk chatter in my ear. And that's yep. a- another instance where having that support circle, that sweet network that I have right now that I can, you know, be open and vulnerable with that. And they look at me like, no, man, you deserve where you're at today and, and build uh, me up. They're not right. jealous or try to break me down. So that's pretty cool.
0: I love that. I love you deserve this, right? Again, that's what my guy said to me, because somehow I'd convinced myself that, you know, I'm just going along on this path. And I had never really looked behind to sort of appreciate it, right? It was just you know, looking forward and trying to be somebody I wasn't, which was perfect. And, and when he, that was such a clear line for me. And I don't know why that's, we've talked about many things, he and I, but that one thing that you deserve this success, that's actually the last line in that little card that I carry because it's an important one for me to look at.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about Caitlin and uh, her her not-for-profit that she has going on?
0: yeah so her and her husband i'm actually wearing one of their shirts uh and it's uh, more good days and uh, that's actually their dog but uh, her husband is an artist and so that's his uh, that's his living and so he comes up with all these designs and what's really cool about not only the project and so on is that uh, the the clothing line is changing all the time and um they are they're just such a a lovely couple and they support each other so much through what they're going through. And Caitlin, uh, man, she is strong. Like I remember uh, she, so I told you the timeline, 2005, not doing great, started to get better. Then in uh, 2012, she tried to go to uh, UBCO uh, and she was only there for a month and it became unmanageable again. So she came back home and as you can expect, um, she was embarrassed and afraid to tell her friends and in fact her friends still didn't even know that she had mental health issues all through uh junior high and high school and uh and so once she started telling her friends they were amazing like no problem we got you right like there's and and also so then in 2013 I had a publicist at CBC that kind of knew her story and he was trying to convince me we should go national with it and so we did. And he set us up, like I said, with the, the newspapers and uh, there's a magazine that did an article and stuff. And, and, but I remember I was scared for her. So the night before it was going to go really live. Uh, I was in St. Louis doing a playoff game and I called her. And I remember we, were, we had also partnered with RBC and they had a, a, a program called know the signs. And I think they had four or five signs to uh sort of recognize if somebody's having mental health problems and so the night before my wife Dawn and i were going through caitlin and i think we came up with 11 or 12 signs that she had that uh we didn't recognize initially because we did know something at some point the problem was we took every individual sign that she had as an individual act we didn't put it all together had we done that, we could have gotten her help sooner. I'm not ashamed of that because I didn't know trouble was lurking, right? I didn't sure. know. But now I like to share that story. So people now actually look maybe at a friend or their children and say, hey, I've sort of noticed this. Uh, what's going on? How are you feeling? Why are you doing this? And those sorts of things. But anyways, I, I was besides knowing the signs or recognizing the signs, I was nervous about social media. Now keep in mind 2013 wasn't, you know, it, social media wasn't quite as popular. I don't think it was quite as mean yet. But I said, Do you really want to do this? And I said, because I'm afraid maybe you might have some haters or some bashers or something. And she said, No, I'm I'm okay. So much to my surprise, she had nothing but love. It was amazing. And and so my strength from that is just that she's continued to tell her story. I'm so proud. When I watch her speak, she's very articulate, um, open about whatever she's gone through. And uh, it's it's kind of cool because major companies, major oil and gas companies in Calgary have had her speak, and you know the big the big ones too. And and some of them we've had like a thousand people in the conference room, and then they'll stream it live and tape it for their other employees. Uh, one big company I think had five thousand people across Canada watching. So it's it the movement it's real and it's big, and then that's why uh, conversations like this, Ryan and Rick, are really important because. Uh, what I learned, um, if you stay loud and keep this conversation, governments have to act, right? So uh, we have to force the federal, the provincial, and municipal governments to to continue to fund and fund more for mental health and addictions like you guys are talking about.
2: Yeah, Noah, that's amazing. And, you know, the I could sit and listen all day, Kelly. I was jotting some notes here. And, you know, one thing that stands out for me, is how cool it is that Caitlin had, a, you know, parents that understood this, right? Like I've talked to so many youth mm-hmm. and and even parents, right, that don't understand and are ashamed of it and all these different things, right? But like you said, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. So there's right. there's no shame in that.
0: No. How did I know what to look out for? I, I just didn't, right? I just yeah. want to go back to her saying again, more good days, because it, it sort of goes um, – in conjunction with a conversation I had with Ron McLean a number of years ago, I think you guys probably love Michael Landsberg as much as I do. And Bell let's talk and the great work he does daily. Uh, and Michael and I text often check in on each other and he's very open about what he's gone through. But Ron and I were having a discussion on Bell let's talk a few years ago. And as Bron- Ron usually does, he left me with a brilliant final text yeah. and he said, inner peace. What a quest. And I thought, man, I just love that. Again, uh, if with more good days, because that's what we're all looking for, right? We're all looking for more good days than bad, and we're all looking for inner peace. And it's quite a quest some days. And just it's uh, it's how we all get through the day.
3: And I think at the beginning of everybody's journey, we're looking for one good day. Yeah, right? it, it starts true. with it starts with one because yeah. there's. There's plenty of people that like one day, you know, no different than addiction, mental health, depression, any kind of substance abuse, like one day at the beginning of that journey is a huge feat and, and seemingly impossible at times. Right. And, uh, and again, I, you know, I can't bring it back to that. Take that first step, be vulnerable, admit it, have an honest conversation. Cause, uh, you know, the, the saying that I always love is, is one day or day one. It's your choice. Yeah. Yeah, there you go and uh and and i think it's really powerful to you know recognize that more good days is is amazing and that's ultimately our goal and it all starts with one good day yep. and, you know why can't that start mm-hmm. today and I, I have lots of people well ryan as well right our organization is built yep. for people to reach out and like we are we are that first point of contact or that's what we're trying to be yep. and uh You know, I don't know how many conversations I've had with people reaching out and they're like, yeah, you know, this is what I want to do and this is where I want to go and this is what I'd like to see happen. I said, okay, well, you know, let's do that. And they're like, okay, well, when do you want to start? And I'm like, right now, we're doing it right now. Right. (laughs) And they're just like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, I don't know if I'm ready for that. I'm like, why not? Like, why not today? When? If not now, when? Right. Yep. And it's, it's, it's amazing to see how many people can see it and they know it's their goal, but just that, that fear, that first step, right. Is, yep. Um, yep. is sometimes overwhelming. And it's just like, man, why not today? Right. Why can't today be the first of your good days?
0: Yep. That's right. I like how you put that. And, uh, we have a person really close to us and she's 11 years sober. So nice for her. Right.
2: Awesome. Oh, that's so awesome. Yep. Yeah. That's so cool. And one of the other things that I really like about you, Kelly, is um how you're using your story, your daughter's using her story. And you know, that's something we talk about lots too, is early on in our journeys into recovery and stuff, we, we told our stories, but now we've come to a place where we can, you know, we're past that. Let's use our stories to see how we can help other people. Right. And if that by using them builds that safe space, that vulnerable piece, it opens that door and allows them to feel safe enough to start sharing some of their story. And that's, you know, that's, I have it written on my whiteboard here. That's, that's the piece that I, use my story for now. It's not about me anymore, but if that'll open the door for the next person to get help. And I know Rick's the same way. Yeah. We'll, sh- we'll share our stories wherever, right? As if it's right. if it's going to help one person, it's worth it every single time.
0: I'm amazed when I've posted my things on social media about my own personal uh, issues uh, and Caitlin as well. She's a big, big part of uh, my having the strength to do it. But uh, I'm amazed. And so it really warms my heart after I post, and it's just almost instantaneous. I get reactions from people uh, on social media, and it's all about love, right? It's just so beautiful, and rarely do I ever get somebody say anything uh, mean or out of line, and so that's kind of where it, I feel like it's just bringing the community closer, and it, it to me, yeah, I'm like you guys. It's not about me, but I just feel it brings all of us closer and know you know, you might be going through something. You, you, and I have a connection. It's, it's, and it's very real. Now, most times, I try and uh, connect with every single person that leaves me a message. I have to say, on certain ones, it gets I can't. I try to, but I usually just put like a heart or something, or uh, let them know that I've read it. But I because I do read every single little, every single message, um, but sometimes I get inundated and I just <laughs> I, I've worked for like two three hours four hours and I can't quite get to all the messages so for that I apologize but I do my darn best <laughs>
3: well it, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, and, and especially Bell let's talk day last bell let's talk day Um you know, I, I make no secrets about some of the things I did when I was in active addiction, like just shameful, terrible things that I am by yeah. no means proud of. Yeah. And there's there's a lengthy list of people that have very low opinions of the guy I was and deservedly so, right? I did some things that yeah. nobody, nobody would be proud of. Yeah. And uh, it was Bell Let's Talk Day last year. I posted a very intimate video um, in the sense of just vulnerable and honest right it was right. just me that it was like listen I've done some terrible shit in my life and, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm here to tell you if you're if you're where I'm at you know I've been there I get it and then there's a way out right. and uh and I remember sending I, I don't really manage her social media Ryan does that a little better than I do but I sent him the video and I remember just being terrified about posting it because I knew some of the terrible things that I had done and some of the very deservedly bad opinions there is of me and uh, what I might be setting myself up for by putting that out there. And uh, I think like by the end of the week, it was viewed 8,000 times. I think we had 600 people respond and it was every single one of them was positive and uh which was shocking to me right because like you talked about that negative voice i was sure that there was going to be maybe one person give me a high five then everybody that i ever wronged was going to light me up in the comment section exactly what that voice was telling me right? right and it was so it was so amazing and inspiring to see it go completely the opposite way and just go you know no matter how far down you've been or what you've done there's why can't today be day one of the next chapter of
0: the story? Right. Well, that's, that's amazing. Well, you recognize that you weren't a great guy in your mind and other people saw it. So if you're coming clean and telling your, uh that you're, that's, that's not you anymore. People have to look at you and go, good on you. That's, that's good. Rick, you know what? You didn't like yourself back then. And now look who you are and, and you're fessing up to it.
3: Yeah, it was pretty remarkable. And I know like you know i think the next week ryan did something similar i don't know if it was the next week or within that month and we realized the power of uh again i think he you know not that it's about the views or the number of clicks or whatever right but I, like i think his video reached like fifteen thousand people and we're just that was kind of the beginning of a whole bunch of momentum for our collective journey because it was like right. wow maybe, maybe there is value in what we're saying and right. the stories that we're telling and it's resonating with people and, and and the feedback just started conversations and i mean people coming out of the woodwork from my past and even complete strangers that you know like we had people i had people messaging me from ontario that you know it's it's one thing for somebody that you know to comment but it's yeah, like right. six degrees of separation how did you even come across this right and they're and they're inspired by what you're doing and, and they want to share their story and they i just started conversations with complete strangers and it was like wow there is yeah, there yeah. is power in this message and, and it isn't about me and it isn't about Ryan and it isn't about Kelly. And it's, it's yeah. just, you know, we need, we need to open up the vocabulary and have honest conversations about this because, and take all, you know, I hate the word stigma, but that's, it still comes back to that. Right. It's, yeah. it's um, have an honest conversation. Like it's not, I shouldn't say that the first one's terrifying, right? It, it's terrifying to break down that wall the first time. But once you do, oh my God, it's therapy right. to let it go, right? And I think about how many bullshit fake conversations I had, such superficial stuff with, with right. guys and you know, and it's like, man, I trade all of that for one real
0: conversation about something that matters with anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Good points. I I I only laughed when you said that first conversation is terrifying. It wasn't actually terrifying when I first told my wife and my kids and our, our son-in-laws, it was just terrifying going to see the person that was going to help me. The, and and that drive, like I told you, I was so darn nervous. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I started crying the second I got in the office, I think.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh man. No. And we've all been, you know, Rick and myself have been there in that same situation years ago as well. That first drive or that first walk through the door or whatever it was. Right. And, that's part of what we do here is we recognize how hard and how terrifying that can be. So, you know, if somebody reaches out to us and, and wants some support, we'll go with them to their first appointment. We'll go with them to their first meeting. Well, it's not just, here's a number, go check right. this out. That's good. Cause, Cause it's so much easier when you have support going through the door yeah. with you. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, if there's one thing, I know we're getting close to the top of the hour here. If there's one thing you could tell, you know, any young people out there or anybody out there who's struggling, Kelly, you know, what's some words of advice for them?
0: Definitely talk to somebody. And Rick, you said it. It doesn't have to be a therapist or somebody in that role, but just talk to somebody. Talk to a family member. Talk to a friend. Uh, tell them uh, as comfortable as you can be what you're going through, uh, what you think, uh, you know, your thoughts might be that may be scaring you. Worrying you, um, causing you some heartache, uh, some pain, loneliness. Like I said, it is hard to uh, at first maybe share a little bit um, when you when you might not even know what's happening. Like Caitlin, if you were to ask Caitlin now that question, she'd give you a great answer. If you had asked her back when she was twelve, she wouldn't have had an answer because she thought everybody went through that. She thought everybody was going through the things that her OCD and anxiety were uh, making her do. So um, that's the other thing. That's also where, when we were just talking about, um, yeah, how are you really doing and look at them and ask questions because they may not know that they're um, in a bad place. So, but that's really my message has always been just, just don't do it alone. Cause it's hard. Like, it's hard at the best of times. And you'll have just recognize, uh, we've talked about having more good days, you will still have some bad days, but you can get through them. And you'll understand pretty quickly that you are capable of getting through them. um, And you will have some really, really good days, you'll Mm -hmm. you'll really appreciate and enjoy the good days. Wow.
2: Yeah, that's so true. Right? I heard a fellow the other day, and uh, he mentioned a quote that was, and I'll post about it here on our collective journey in the next week or so, but it was about how many nevers are you living in now? And I look back and I think about that. Like I used to always tell myself, you'll never do this you'll or that'll never happen to me. And then they came true or, you know, how many nevers are you living in now? And that really hit home for me. I'm like, man, I've I've got through every struggle I've ever come across. And I didn't think it was going to be possible, but here I am today and I'm still here.
0: So I can get through this one. That's a good thing. That's I like that. I uh, yeah. I it's funny. I don't have a lot of nevers. That's not ever been really me. Again, it's my brain works a little bit differently than everybody else's, and we're all the same in that. Uh, it is mine. Is when is it going to end? You know, I've been on a pretty good run starting in 1980 when I got drafted, and then it's like, when is it? When is it ending? And because I know it will. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it, but I don't know why that just sort of takes uh control at times. Yeah. Wow. What about you, Rick? Uh, I just want to take
3: this opportunity to thank Kelly Rudy for coming on here and, and having this conversation with us. I want to, uh, you know, give a shout out to the medicine hat connection there. and the, <laughs> um, You know, I was born and raised in Calgary uh, as a, As an L.A. King, you broke my heart a couple of times, but I'd like to give you a huge shout out. And if I can ask you one thing, Kelly, it would be at some point, whether it's on a regional broadcast or uh, a hockey night in Canada, like bring back that blue bandana. You made that cool, man. Like I've got
0: a storage unit to find them again. We're all in storage (laughs) right now. (laughs)
3: <laughs> my entire football career, I played a lot of football and I always rocked the blue bandana
0: and you that's inspired cool. me. Yeah. No <laughs> love- oh, Oh my gosh, that's funny. I uh you know I never intended it to be a trademark, I just used it as a headband because I wore contacts when I played and I was had long hair. And so that was as simple as it gets. And that next thing I know, especially when I went to LA and it became more of a thing, I I, I guess. And then I've had so many people about your age, Rick, and uh, so on, a little bit older maybe. And they've said, yeah, when I was playing gold, I didn't hear this foot- football one before, but it's really cool to think people uh, kind of liked it and thought it was kind of nice. So, yeah, it, it has a lasting impact, I think, for some some reason. Yeah, six. I played football, six, seven years of football I played, and every single down I ever
3: played, I had a blue bandana on. It was oh, nice. inspired by Kelly Rudy. Where'd you play football?
0: Uh, Calgary and medicine at just high school ball. Oh yeah. Nice. I played junior football and high school football also. That was uh, one of my favorite sports. Yeah, for sure. Love it.
2: Pretty awesome stuff. And you know, yeah, I'll just reiterate what Rick said. I can't thank you enough for making time in your busy schedule, Kelly, and coming on and sharing your message and, being vulnerable with us. I mean, that's you know, I grew up watching the LA Kings. The day Gretzky got traded there, I switched from the Oilers to a Kings fan and and suddenly I'm a Kelly Rudy fan at that same point. And <laughs> I spent the rest of my days. I still cheer for the Kings. They're starting to come back out of the cellar this year, which is amazing. Yeah, for- right. Okay, they're playing uh, great.
0: Jonathan Quick's having a good year. And yeah it's, yeah, it's it's it is exciting to watch him again. Yeah. Oh,
2: it's amazing. And uh yeah. You know, I, I would have, if somebody would have told me someday I'll sit down and talk to Kelly Rudy and it won't be about hockey, I would have laughed.
0: <laughs> Amazing. Isn't this so right? Yeah. Three grown men and, uh, barely talked anything about sports and that's a good thing. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. You know, each other and, uh, spreading the word about, uh, trying to take care of yourself.
2: You bet. Well, if you, uh. I know you got plans you got to take off and so do we, but um, if you don't have any plans this September, don't forget we got a good golf tournament going on down here in medicine hat that you you have a standing invite to anytime you want to come down.
0: Okay. Like I said, just send me an invite again. And I'll look at my schedule. We have a wedding coming up this summer in Hawaii and we've got, uh, it's going to be a really small one for our middle daughter and her fiance. And then we'll have everybody married, but then we're going to have to have a reception here in Calgary for everybody. So I hope course, I can make the date work, but uh, yeah, love to be there.
2: We will send it your way. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks again, Kelly. And uh, we'll be watching for you on Saturday nights.
0: You got it. Thanks uh, Ryan and Rick. Really enjoyed it. Thanks guys. You. Thank bet. you.
1: From Darkness to Life is an Our Collective Journey podcast. These are the true stories of struggles and triumphs against addiction and mental health challenges. If these stories resonate with you, and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Please consider supporting OCJ by visiting ourcollectivejourney.ca and clicking Donate. All proceeds go to supporting the health and wellness of people in our community. Hosted by members of Our Collective Journey. Produced by Rob Pape. Engineered, edited, and directed by Dave Cruikshank. From Darkness to Life is a Plugged In Media Network exclusive. Thank you for listening.